Hey everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of My First Sketch. I'm Josh Hyam. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to the show, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Make it easy on yourself. Get it automatically. It'd be really cool, though, if you rate it five stars and leave a review on whatever platform you choose. Like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash myfirstsketch. Follow along on Twitter at myfirstsketch. Head to myfirstsketch.com where I'll post any of the videos. Head to myfirstsketch.com where I'll post fun information sometimes. You don't know when, check it out. Any questions, thoughts, recommendations, feel free to email me at josh at myfirstsketch.com and I'll get back to you in a timely fashion. This weekend is NYC Sketchfest at The Pit in New York City, so it's only appropriate to have my last guest highlighting NYC Sketchfest. Today's guest is Andre Moldov, currently a member of the Los Angeles-based Fembot PhD. Fembot PhD is coming to NYC Sketchfest at the Pit Loft on Friday, October 25th in the 7 p.m. block. Andre's first sketch is called Bad Taste Cops. Andre reads the role of Officer Madden, and I read all of the other smaller roles, including Pickup Driver, Officer Quinn, and Shirtless Man as well as give you all the visual information you need to know. And be warned, I have to sing in this one. So let's get to the sketch. Exterior Backwoods Road, night. The camera illuminates the ground, and just like on Cops, we see a a uniformed pair of legs trample the grass. The camera settles on a white pickup truck waiting further up the road. Officer Madden, 30s, trooper-like, approaches the truck from behind, hand on his holster. Evening, sir. How's it going tonight? The camera now illuminates the driver of the pickup truck. He might be intoxicated, or he might just be squinting from the bright camera light. Fine, fine. Was I speeding? I didn't even realize. Sir, I was standing guard there at the turn. He holds up what looks like a radar gun with a satellite attached to it. And uh, I think I heard you listen to REO Speedwagon, am I correct? What? You're asking me about my music? Sir, please eject the CD from your car stereo. Is this some kind of joke? Sir, will you eject the CD from your stereo or risk persecution for not complying with the law officer? The driver ejects the CD and hands it to Officer Madden. Just as I thought. He takes out his ticketing pad. Since this is a first offense, I'll let you go with a warning and some musical recommendations. He tears out a sheet and gives it to the driver, walks off. Can I have my CD back? I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that. Cut to the interior of the cop car night. Officer Madden sits shotgun as his partner, Officer Quinn, 30, stout and cuddly, drives. Both face straight ahead, turn to the camera slightly when speaking. Yeah, the things people listen to will shock you. Shock and appall you. Cut to exterior 7-Eleven parking lot night. Officers Madden and Officer Quinn rush on to a domestic violence scene between a screaming wife and a drunk husband. His arms flail about. She yells at him. Guns and roses blast from the car stereo nearby. Officer Quinn apprehends the husband from behind, pinning his arms. The wife lunges for him. Officer Madden holds her back. Calm down, ma'am. You need to remain calm while I turn off this offensive stereo. Both husband and wife thrash about and yell bleeped out obscenities. 
Officer Madden moves away from the car, reaches inside, and turns off the stereo. Officer Quinn lets go of the husband, looks at Officer Madden. They nod and walk away. The husband and wife start beating each other. Cut to interior of the cop car night. Officer Quinn drives. Officer, Qu- Officer Madden rides shotgun. Friday, Saturday, people have parties, get drunk. Don't know what they're doing. Cut to interior suburban house night. Officer Madden and Officer Quinn force their way into the kitchen, where a group of teenagers are witnessing a keg stand. They disband in fear of the two officers. All right, everybody, party's over. Where is that music coming from? They walk towards the living room. Interior suburban house living room, continuous. Teenagers drinking and making out on couches. The ones standing scatter as soon as they see Officers Madden and Quinn. Officer Madden looks towards the stereo, which is blasting bare naked ladies. He steps over a teenage couple making out, beer cans in hand, reaches for the plug, and pulls it out. He exits. Officer Quinn follows. Now don't let us tell you a second time. The 90s are over. You kids should be cooler than that. Cut to interior cop car night. Officer Quinn drives while Officer Madden rides shotgun. Yeah, weekends are the busiest, but weekdays too. You'd be surprised how many busts we do just on a regular Tuesday. Shocking the lack of self-respect you see out there. Cut to exterior diner night. A shirtless man, 50s, drunk looking, holds his headphones in one hand and waves them around. He's arguing with Officer Madden. As Officer Quinn and the camera move closer, we hear their argument. What are you talking about? This is ridiculous. Sir, as an officer of the law, I am asking you to politely hand over your iPod. No, no way. I can listen to whatever I want on my headphones. No, no, you cannot. Everyone has a duty to uphold the standards of good taste. We're just doing our part. Now, please comply and hand over the iPod or I'll have no choice but to apply force. The shirtless man puts the the headphones in his ear and turns up his iPod. You're not the boss of me. He starts dancing, singing out of tune. The ABBA classic. If you change your mind, I'm the first in line. Honey, I'm still free. Take a chance on me. If you need me, let me know. Gonna be around. Officers Madden and Quinn pounce on the man. ABBA is a classic. ABBA's for theater nerds. They pin the shirtless man to the ground and wring the iPad the iPod out of his hands as we fade to the theme song. Hey, Andra. Hey. All right. So tell me about this sketch. Tell me about this. I, I like it's a video and I, I'm so used to uh, having like stage live mm. for this. Uh, so this is my first video one for a, in a while. Mm. So tell me about this idea. Um, yes. So I wrote Bad Taste Cops as a cops parody, uh, that show Cops. And mm-hmm. it was the first sketch I ever wrote in the very first sketch class I ever took, uh, UCB Sketch 101. Um, this is way before, back when they still made iPods, obviously. And it was... Um, before UCB even had, like it was still a little theater and they, they didn't even have classes inside the theater. I think I was, I don't know. I don't remember where we met. Um, 
but was, this, were yeah. they, was the theater under Gristides yet or is, um, is this in New York? Yeah, this, no. I mean, Mm-mm, this is in LA. Oh, okay, then. Yeah. Okay, so. Uh, I forgot, man, I'm trying to think how long it was ago. Seven years, maybe? Okay. Uh, who would have been the instructor? Kevin Peterson. Okay, I don't. Yeah. I was hoping for a name that I'd recognize, and I, but I don't. It's always. I might even be pronouncing it wrong, which is weird. <laughs> very seems like a common name. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I forget like the I forget the the. It was probably like a homework prompt, honestly. Um, and you know, do do a parody. So I was like, oh, that show that show Cops is pretty funny. I never watch it. I'll do a parody of cops, but all I had, I think all I'd ever seen of cops was just the theme song. Yeah. And yeah. I, and, and theme song and like whatever previews they would have for next on cops. Um, and then, yeah, I, was, I, I just thought, okay, what if instead of arresting people for actual crimes, they just were really uh, music snobs and, you know, I guess I didn't do too much research into music snobs either. I'm not a music snob. Right. So I'm not cops and I'm not a music snob, but I wrote a sketch about both of them. And I think for a first sketch, it's all right. Oh, it, it like structurally, <laughs> it's perfectly fine. Yeah. I, my, my contention is with the, the, the music snobbery that's in it. Like <laughs> what's so wrong with Barricade Ladies or ABBA or. Yeah. It's very I mean, random. Um, again, I have zero musical uh, <laughs> myself. So ha- if I had to write the sketch again, I would probably collaborate with a real music snob. I yeah, mean, like... I don't know, maybe Bare Naked Ladies, that could stay in there. I don't know. If they, even, even if you like Bare Naked Ladies musically, the name is pretty, pretty funny. Yeah. It's a good laugh. I'm sure there's at least one of their songs or like just doing like the big bang theory theme song that like that they did <laughs> is probably good enough for, because yeah. some of their songs are good. I would okay know. <laughs> <laughs> there's one song I absolutely hate, but that's the one they were listening to. That, that's what I'll, yeah, I'll go that way. <laughs> um, All right. So you take, you take a sketch comedy class at UCB. Yeah. Um. And another why, thing why? that I, yeah, another thing that I noticed reading this straight through now is um, the, the stage directions, like or action lines since it's a video sketch. It's they are so. I think the only thing that I've written before sketch comedy was um, like I wrote a script with a friend of mine and like a screenplay, and I think I. I think I was like on a first draft of a pilot and I didn't, I didn't understand that in sketch um, you should not have many stage directions and nobody cares. Like don't, don't use words like illuminates. (laughs) 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 You can write a sketch about using fancy words in sketch. I I have no problem with it either. It's, You know, I totally could see the sketch in my head. Like, sure, you can just be like, light the cop's feet. Yes. <laughs> like, 
maybe you don't need to totally storyboard the full thing out in the sketch, <laughs> but I'm okay with it. Cool. It's a, it's a five page sketch that's gonna play to like a three or four minute video or something. So it's like, yeah. I'm yeah, I'm fine. It it moved well enough for me. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, so why do you take a a sketch class at UCB? Because. I took an improv class at UCB. Um, so I, I came to LA to be a screenwriter. And like I said, I'd written um, a screenplay with a friend at the time. And it just was kind of, I, I was very, very green. And green in the sense of like, I didn't even know how to make a career path for myself. Like I barely, I barely knew how to write. And even more so, how to actually turn it into a job. And um, I had taken, I was just kind of floundering. And then my roommate at the time was like, you know, you need to shake things up. Why don't you take a, why don't you take a, a an improv class? Um, they'll get your creative, they'll get your mind working creatively, you know, um, characters and stuff. And mm -hmm. I did that and it was horrible. I, uh, was like, wow, improv, improv is hard and acting is hard. And I, I just want to sit, I just want to write. I just, I just want to write. And I think I saw like, um, I can add some words because, because the improv class was through UCB mm -hmm. and they were just starting up their sketch program at the time. And I thought, oh, well, this could be cool. I'll do this and see what, and see what that's like. Mostly because so, I didn't want to do improv anymore. <laughs> so you've always wanted to write. It's never been a performance thing for you. No. Uh -uh. Okay. Yeah. And I, I do, and I perform, and I, I, I perform now because I'm on a team. Um, right. And I, you know, we all like pull our weight in that way. We all write and perform. And I've discovered a lot through it. Like, I'm happy that I took it on as a, as a learning experience, um, being on a team and performing. And I was like, okay, well, I really gotta, I really gotta, even though I don't enjoy it, I, I still want to contribute. Like I want to do a good job. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I took some scene study classes, which were really cool. Um, I think the work of acting self is really cool. Um, and I, I totally, yeah, I wish I could be super good at it, but, <laughs> but writing is definitely the thing that I put more energy into and more hopes into. Okay, uh, let's get back to the beginning. What what would be like your earliest memory of of comedy, like of something being funny to you, or? Uh huh. I know that it's. I know that it goes further than this, but oh no, you know what? My earliest memory of comedy is hanging out with my uncle. Okay. Ugh, such a classic, like, oh, the funny uncle. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and he's, he, so I'm, I'm originally from Romania. So this is like, I was, I spent the first nine years of my life in another country. Oh, wow. Um, so it's not like the, it's not like the, you know, uh, jokester beer drinking uncle that it probably, you would, you would imagine like an American uncle. Um, 
this is my mom's younger brother and he like rode his bicycle around town and um he would go fishing and i don't know he's like a very creative i mean he's still he's still alive he is but at the time he was uh just kind of a creative person and i know always treated me like i could get jokes Mm. so he he would joke around with me and i can't like i don't i can't remember the first time i laughed but in that general ballpark is my first experience of comedy and think connecting with someone in like a playful way. Do you have any memories of like Romanian pop culture? (laughs) Well, uh, it was communist at the time. So like we didn't have TV. We had, whenever I try to explain this to people, it's, um, uh, I guess it's a little hard because I don't know if you can um, like imagine no TV, but but it, you had one channel and it came on at uh, six o'clock and you had like, see, I didn't really watch it because the cartoons would come on at seven o'clock from seven to seven oh nine. And by cartoons, it was just like more like, I don't know, Russian puppet shows or with no subtitles, by the way, so I didn't know what was, what was being said. Um, this was mostly, there wasn't really, like, a Western, um, it wasn't really, like, a Western pop culture. There were no brands, which, honestly, can be kind of cool. Not ac- not advocating for dictatorship or anything, but it was kind of nice to not be bombarded with commercials all the time. Um, yeah, I can get on board with that, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But, it was, yeah, TV was mostly... Um, like news updates about how great the agriculture's going or, you know, how great the president did in this quarter or at this meeting or whatever. And then it would be seven, or sorry, nine minutes cartoons, um, which, again, is kind of like a Russian Sesame Street but with like maybe three characters instead of, I don't know how many Sesame street characters there are. Um, and then it would be more news and then a movie, um, mostly from the Soviet bloc. And so I don't remember a lot of, I think if there were pop stars, maybe there were, there definitely was like one or two, but it was not in my, um, wheelhouse cause they weren't cartoons. So then, do you like have an earliest memory of like pop culture in America? I do. I do. Um, do you ever see that documentary Chuck Norris versus Communism? No. Okay, I highly recommend it. Uh, it's a thing that actually happened, not Chuck Norris, like figuratively speaking, Chuck Norris. So, so my dad was um, in, I guess, what would be here, like the Merchant Marines. Okay. And so he. Travel. Yeah, he would like travel all around on a ship and mostly like around the coast of Africa to fish. But he would go through all these other different countries and bring back <clears throat> cultural contraband, I would call it, which is a VCR. He brought back a VCR one time and we were like the first people in my on my block to have like a color TV. This is 1980-something, by the way. And... Um, cassette tapes, like bootlegged cassette tapes of 
American Western pop culture. And so my very earliest memory of pop culture as, and it was American, of course, was um, he brought a cartoon cassette tape for me, which was, it was like a Donald Duck and a Daisy thing. It was all Disney. And uh, the one where, um, what's his name? Goofy goes skiing. Uh, I remember watching that on repeat over and over. Um, there was one with like Pluto. So, so Disney cartoons. And what I remember the most was another cassette tape, which was the, the very first MTV music awards. Hmm. The one where Madonna rolls around the stage in a wedding dress like Elton John is playing the piano and uh, Phil Collins is that epic drum solo. Okay. Yeah. So I watched that on loop to the point that my mom got worried. She like had me stop watching because I would like, I would put on like a white sheet around my body and just roll around in the, in the living room. Um, singing to Madonna and she's like, I don't think this is a good influence. <laughs> um, yeah, that's my early theory of pop culture. And yeah, and and uh, the, this documentary, the Chuck Norris versus communism, kind of, uh, it, it explores that phenomenon because a lot of people did this actually. Um, had of, of the contraband. Yeah, had bootleg cassette tapes uh, and video and and VHS tapes uh, about, you know, Chuck Norris action movies. And they would just get get together with their neighbors and it was, it was forbidden. So you had to like pull the curtains. You had to like have people only that you trust in the house because you don't want to get reported to KGB. So, so yeah, it was kind of, it was exciting. And so another, yeah, another reason, probably another reason my mom had me, stop watching that stuff because she didn't want me going to school. Right. For Madonna, you know? Um, <laughs> this is going to sound awful of me and, you know, uneducated. No, no, no. Did you know English? I did. Um, okay. I mean, I knew like basic English. So I was nine when I came over with my parents and yeah, I had a, maybe for like six months or something before we left. Um, like I was enrolled in an English class in school. So the, the revolution happened in 89. So for like a year after um, I was in school and they kind of like freed up. Cause I, I don't think you, I don't think they, that they were allowed to teach English or, or something. In school. Oh, I doubt it. I doubt I that would remember. be okay. Yeah. I don't remember, but um yeah, I knew like basic British English, like how do you do? Okay. And, uh, fine so, day. <laughs> yeah. So the, you know, the Donald and Daisy Duck cartoons and like a virgin weren't completely foreign to you, like. Oh, you I didn't understand. Know. No, I didn't know English at the time. Oh, okay, was... that's what. I, okay. Yeah. So, I so I like a virgin, that. like, mm-hmm. is completely lost on you. It's just this yeah. woman writhing no. around. Yeah, it was just a woman with a high voice and a lot of energy. And I was like, this is cool. There's a weird part of me that's like almost picturing this, of watching these contraband VHS tapes almost as like Dorothy Gale entering Oz, like, you know, from black and white to color. 
of like you know like your your world expanding a little bit uh-huh and i don't know that can that could be entirely yeah. incorrect but that's how i'm seeing it like in my head is like this contraband cassette is like oh what's this like i don't know yeah you know i never kind of I, I never it lives just like as a memory for me i never really analyzed what effect that had and that just might be my american yeah. <laughs> like picture like picturing communist the communist block like just in black black and white and gray like that entire time yeah and then you know it's and then red, white, and blue shows up at some point and saves everything, which is an awful, horrible way of looking at it. But that, that Chuck Norris versus communism, man. Yeah, I need to look that up. Mm-hmm. Um, so you moved to America in at nine years old. Yeah, I think. It Do was... you have like like a pop culture comedy moment when, after you move here? Yeah, I, I um, I would live for the after school cartoon. Absolutely. Oh on uh channel 11 mm-hmm. um gummy bears um tailspin oh man rescue rangers i remember as like because you know we're roughly in the same like maybe a couple years um i remember loving tailspin and rescue rangers yeah i have no memory i couldn't tell you any story about yeah. those two cartoons but I remember loving them. Oh, they were awesome. Um, uh, Scrooge McDuck. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then um, the, one of the girls, I became friends with the girl in the building that we lived in, uh, who was also Romanian. Um, and she introduced me to Full House. Okay. Um, now I can remember every episode of that, mm-hmm. like for sure. Really? Yo, it's bad. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Um, what was it? Uh, how rude! I remember that. I didn't even know. I didn't even know at the time that these were tools that writers used <laughs> to, to live in your mind forever. Um, Do you think those after-school shows helped you learn English more completely? For sure. Definitely. That and soap operas, weirdly enough. They speak Hmm. very clearly in soap operas, if you ever notice. Um, Don't. You don't need to go watch soap operas. I was about to say, I I haven't noticed because I think I've I've seen 15 minutes of a soap opera in the last 20 years. (sighs) Yeah. Uh, Young and the Restless. It was a good one because it was half hour, and <laughs> but I, I wouldn't, I would only get to see it like during the summer vacation because mm. come on at like one o'clock and I was in school. Yeah. So summer vacation, snow days, um, that was a good one. I, I, I actually like I got so into it that um, when my mom got a typewriter for. This was back in the 90s, right? So she needed to like train for an office job with a typewriter. And I I would sneak and use it to to attempt to write my own soap opera episodes. It didn't go far. I don't have any of those records. <laughs> no, but so it sounds like writing 
has been pretty consistent for you like yeah it hasn't always been like for entertainment purposes right but yeah writing's been a pretty long journey for me because like i'm very curious about the idea of like writing your like seeing a soap opera and being compelled to write one yeah i could do this too yeah 10 or whatever 12 (laughs) (laughs) so that compulsion has always been there to create your own version of something. Yeah. Yeah. And I can remember like as a kid, my, I was a very finicky eater and my grandfather would, who would babysit me at times, he would, he came up with this like scheme of, um, you know, stories for stories for eating type of scheme where it's like i tell you the story i'll I'll tell you what happens next but you gotta like have another bite Mm -hmm. and um my meals would last like two and a half hours um but he would he would have to make up these stories obviously because yeah and they were usually like journey stories of like um i don't know pets that he had growing up and you just make up these stories that they went on adventures like the dog and the cat and I don't know when they one day they got lost in the forest and uh you know they found this um other animal a, a, a chipmunk or something and then they all went you know looking for something that the chipmunk lost and they weren't very exciting stories um but at, at one point I think he like ran out and started asking me like well what do you think what do you what do you think happened next? And I think that's kind of how I got thinking back on it. I think that's kind of how I was like, Oh, we're going to solve this problem of where these, where these animals are going. Mm. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I don't, I don't really eat when I write. Maybe that's why <laughs> I get sometimes. Um, as you, huh. It's been a good therapy session. Thank you. (laughs) You know what? I'll take it. Well, that's fine. (laughs) Charge. So what? So you moved to LA to to be a screenwriter. Like, was there in your head? Was there like a? Did you want to be a comedy writer? Did you want to be a drama writer? Like, Mm -hmm. were were you like focused on one aspect? Yeah. um, Um. Before moving to Los Angeles, I worked for a lady named Tracy Jackson, who was a Hollywood screenwriter herself before she moved to New York. And she was super funny. And I worked with her in the capacity of her being her assistant on a documentary that she was working on at the time. And when there wasn't like work to do on the documentary, um, She'd be like, okay, well, can you clean out my um, filing cabinet? Or can you, you know, clean out these files, like this bookcase, and just make it organized? And in doing that, um, I found, like, old scripts and stuff that she'd worked on and and jobs and stuff that she'd had and, like, working as a script doctor and punch-ups and stuff. And uh, I guess I was... (laughs) procrastinating but I was I just like sat there and read some of the stuff and um I don't know I was like oh this is something that people do 
that's really cool. Um, I, I also, around the time, was helping a friend produce a, a horror film. And I kind of like, I flew out to LA to help him on set and stuff. And I was like, this is fun. This is working with people and wow, you write stuff down and then actors act it out. That seems really cool. And I honestly, I think I just wanted to move out of New York more than I wanted to be a writer, Hmm. but I couldn't think of anything else that I wanted to do in LA. So I was like, I'll give this a shot. And, you know, it's been years of doing other odd jobs while also writing. Um, but yeah, that's how it that's how it started. Okay, so then, like, so let's talk about Fembot PhD. How did you all meet? We originally, two of us, um, myself and Jessica Mall, we met in a class, not a UCB class. Mm-hmm. Uh, the theater that we perform at kind of started out as like a writing workshop or an improv workshop with like a sketch sketch writing component and we met in like the last class of that program where the the purpose was to put on your own show and we were we actually were part of another team and we kind of like four girls kind of like split off from that team because we were dissatisfied with the roles we were getting it was there were a lot of people on that team so it was it's like, you know, we can just kind of put up our own stuff at theaters around town. And we did that and people started inviting us back. So we were like, well, let's just come up with a team name. <laughs> anyway, fast forward, um, two of the girls left. Jessica and I are still wanting to be a team. So um, I knew Kate from, like, I met her through my roommate when we worked on a web series together or a former roommate when we worked on a web series together. So I was like, oh, you know, uh, Kate, she just moved back from San Francisco. And I think she's like looking to do stuff. She could be like a good addition. Um, Julia. we So our format is that we invite a guest to perform and if they want to write with us every month. Okay. So, yeah, Julia was a guest. And then we were like, oh, she would be a good addition. So we had her come on and the same was true for Candace. Okay. And, yeah. And Nikki, Nikki, Jessica and Nikki knew each other forever. And I, I'd met her around it just socially and I'd seen her perform and I was like, oh, we should have her guest with us. And actually she'd be a really good addition to different kind of energy. Now, I think you're the first person I've talked to while they've actively been in New York and in, in Los Angeles. Uh-huh. Uh, so I know very little about the sketch comedy scene in LA outside mm. of the Groundlings. Like, mm. to me, the Groundlings are like the historical LA theater. Yeah. Like, yeah, I know. they're great. And, I, and I've, mm-hmm. uh, my childhood best friend had like, uh, his a vow renewal ceremony for his 10 year anniversary a couple years ago uh-huh. in LA. And I was like, all right, weddings on, on Saturday, I have to go to the Sunday show. Like, yes. Like I, it, it was like, I had my, 
I think I bought my ticket for the Growlings before I bought my ticket, like to fly out there. <laughs> like it was full on. Like I planned my trip around it. That's uh, awesome. So, can you tell me a little bit about, about like the sketch scene in Los Angeles? Yeah, I can try. Um, or at least your impressions of it. So that that's funny. I I kind of live in in the same neighborhood as the Growlings, and yeah, they're they're awesome. The Growlings are definitely an institution and um yeah i mean they're they're og right (laughs) and ucb i um like i said i i started taking classes there like i think if it wasn't for ucb i I don't know maybe maybe i would have done the growlings although they're very they're much more improv yeah their classes and their curriculum so i don't think i would have gotten very far and i isn't everything like by audition yeah yeah. you have to like audition to like not just like when you you take the class and you have to audition to get into the next class like yeah um yeah so it's rigorous it's very rigorous and everyone that i know that's come out from that program is a badass performer um yeah, very, very strong. And I did, I took one, I took one Groundlings class okay. and I learned so much. Um, then, yeah, UCB and UCB just like got really big. They bought, um, or yeah, they have a, a, a space on Sunset for the last few years now. It's very big performance, it's like a warehouse kind of space, very big performance like cafe attached and ugh, valley parking oh my god uh, <laughs> and it also is kind of solidified as an institution you know um and different from the groundlings curriculum and i don't know it it for me my impression of it is and that's probably just just speaks to how i operate or my social skills or something it those places seem like very big for me like I couldn't really find a group or or you know like it felt like I would I would go and just kind of be in a void mm-hmm. um maybe like two people too many people to make friends with I don't know <laughs> yeah that I don't understand that for sure yeah yeah so I so yeah, so so when the pack theater came up, it was kind of like perfect timing because the classes were really manageable and the people were kind of like they weren't UCB people that were taking classes. They weren't Groundlings people. And what I liked about it was that it kind of provided a little bit of all the disciplines. Like iOS was also a thing back then that closed down. Yeah, it's it's actually now that I think about it, I'm talking about it. The sketch scene has gotten pretty big, I think, because it used to be it went from like maybe just the Growlings, which is mostly improv, right? To I think now the Growlings does sketch, UCB obviously, um, and the Pack Theater. Uh, with Fembot PhD, like, what is the writing process for the team? The writing process is very democratic. <laughs> um we so we 
we put on a live show every month. And in order to do that, we will, we meet pretty much every week and we bring in pitches the first meeting and we'll just go around the room like pitching our ideas and we'll kind of like um pitch on each other's ideas so oh you know it'll be really funny here what if blah 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 what if this uh what if you did this with the ideas and then the next week we um bring in the first drafts Mm. and we vote, right? I think. I think we vote. <laughs> Sorry. We vote somewhere in there. We bring in the first drafts. We do rewrites. And then we vote. And then the next week after that, we read the rewrites and do like last punch ups. And then the last rehearsal of the month is like a blocking rehearsal. So every and, month is new material? Yeah. 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 All new. All new material. Yeah. We've done a couple of shows that are best of. Sure, okay. Usually, yeah, usually when, usually around the holidays when people kind of go away and we don't want to, we don't have like all the rehearsal time or if we get into a festival and we, <laughs> October, no, October is not a best time, but <laughs> if we get into a festival and we don't have the time to prepare, yeah, but for the most part, it's new material every month and we have made a real effort to to do a video every month as well. Like a video sketch. Yeah. Yeah. I very rarely do research on the people I talk to. Like, and it's probably a weakness of this, but for some reason I decided to, you know, dive into Fembot PhD and I went to the YouTube channel and I was like, Oh, there's 200 and something videos. Oh my gosh. Like, (laughs) well, some of those, I mean, a lot of those are from the live, live show. Right. And but on one point I loved that. I I was so happy to see that. I, I could have done a full, complete deep dive and seen every performance of the last few years, which is so cool to me, because I don't think I don't think sketch teams do that enough. Like, That's really interesting. Yeah. Like I'm all, I'm a big proponent. Like, I understand time, energy, money, cost, everything, blah, blah, blah. Film your sketches, put them online. If you're gonna retire a stage sketch, you know maybe maybe actually film it like actual, yeah, like an actual thing, and you know put a little extra effort to it, and it's just I don't know. I was I was very pleasantly surprised, and I do need to do deep deep dive and watch through some more of the stuff that I saw. So, uh, but one of the things I saw on the YouTube channel that I want to ask about uh, <laughs> there seems to be a recurring character. Uh huh. Of I'm Olga ready. and uh, Ludmilla. I, I said it wrong. <laughs> Olga and Ludmilla. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, Kate, yeah, Kate and I are. Kate and I do those characters, and we're both Eastern European. Like she kind of has a similar, a similar history to my, to me. She came from Poland when she was nine. Okay. And uh, so we both kind of, at least somewhat, lived through through that Eastern European experience. And we originally did those characters, speaking of live sketches, then going to video, we originally did those characters as um, like Russian talk show hosts uh, commenting on American pop culture. So the live sketch was just them on stage 
with like slide PowerPoint presentations, just ragging on American celebrities. Like, oh, what's Kim Kardashian wearing? Like in a very, you know, grumpy old lady kind of way. Absolutely, sure. And yeah, it was it was funny. It was easy to do. And then we we did it um, back in 2016 during during the election time. I think we did one sketch when when they did just did the news, mm-hmm. like celebrities and then the news. And then after Trump got elected in November, we. He, the elections happened after our November show. So we were, we were putting together the, the December show right after the election. And we were just all so just all very, uh, I can't even remember what 2016 was like, but we weren't happy. And somebody suggested um, that we do it. Oh, Danny, Danny Amaral, who is our only male member for, for a bit there, we had a male member, <laughs> and he was like, why don't you guys do just Olga and Ludmila's Christmas? Because, you know, th- th- there was like the Russia scandal kind of popping up, and I don't know, it was just, it was starting, right? That that whole thing was starting, and we're like, oh yeah, if Russia's going to take over anyway, why don't we just get ahead of it and just do these Russian characters so we did a whole half hour of them hosting, um, like a Russian Christmas, like a like a you know the last American Christmas type show. <laughs> kind of we and yeah, and then we ended up doing we ended up putting that in like a play like a play format, and doing it for Fringe, the Fringe Festival. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So at some point, we had done these characters so much that Kate was like, well, why don't we just do a weekly web series where they just talk about the news from their viewpoint. And we've been doing those. We used to do them every week and now we do them bi-weekly just for time purposes. Are they fully written out before you do them or is there improv? They're all improv. Oh God, still doing improv. (laughs) I can't get away from improv. I, I was curious about that and I was going to come back to that. Yeah. But I, I, I feel like, and that, well, at the same time, I'm not a, like an improv person either. Mm-hmm. But when you establish a character and you know that character so well, that's when I, I find improv to be fun. Yeah. Like, uh, Ooh, totally. Like, uh, Reno 911, the TV show, like, they had these very like distinct characters, but then after that, it was mostly improv uh-huh. because they knew their characters so well. Go for it. Like, yeah, I don't know when, when you have like a strong base of something to start your improv from, I'm always way more interested than just like people going on stage, like, all right, give me, give me a suggestion for a place. And then going from there, like, mm-hmm. yeah. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm all aboard. That's fine. Yeah, it's really it's really fun to do. Um, it's really fun to do, and it's it's a. I mean, I have a lot of opinions on the news as a person. It's fine to it's fine to kind of let that go for a little bit and just just uh, be real 
real cynical about it. And for some reason, yeah, doing it, doing it as a character, doing it as like a, I don't know if this is going to like sound dumb, but doing it as like a foreign character looking into American, whatever you want to call this right now, news, the American news cycle, I think is a nice, it's a nice convenient buffer. Uh, for people who have never seen Fembot PhD, how would you describe a show? Well, I would describe the show as very varied. We all on the team have really different voices and interests. And if you go see a Fembot PhD show, you will, you're going to find something that you connect to. Um, different styles of humor and also there's like different styles of sketches there's really short sketches that are just like quick blackouts there's like longer you know kind of like mr show type sketches um there's there's like poop humor and other bodily functions humor and then there's like political humor and um that's me and uh (laughs) yeah and just like really like weird off the wall weird off the wall stuff so yeah a, a nice variety a little what is that um Fembot shows like one of those uh worthers no no what's the word um what's the name Russell of the Stover? no what's the name of the candy right the c c seagram c word c something I don't know. I've not eaten candy in a while, obviously. You get it at the airport, and there's like, I'm not going to do the Forrest Gump thing, like a box of chocolates, but it's a variety. Like like Russell Stover's, um, sure. Whitman's. Sure, Whitman's. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it was somebody's name. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, I ask everybody, we didn't really like touch on like your introduction to sketch comedy, like as a, a, a viewer, I always no. want to know who is your favorite SNL cast member? Mm, I would say Steve Martin. And I don't know. I think I also like, like him as a person. I've never, never met him. He was only a host. I've ne- yeah, that's true. That's, but it's fine. It, he's been long enough that. Yeah. I don't know. Man, that, that's that's difficult. I'm also like super bad with names. That's great. It's well, fine. Steve Martin's perfectly great. Let's talk about Steve, Steve Martin. Martin for the host, and then I guess I don't know. Um, I do love Tina Fey. Mm. Um, you mentioned liking Steve Martin as a person. I've never met Steve Martin. Obviously, right? I, I, I assume. <laughs> I assume because if you did, we would be talking for another hour about that experience. Like, oh, Steve and I go way back. No, <laughs> I've never met him. I only know the persona right. of Steve Martin. I don't know the person, right? So I'll correct that. Yeah, I read his book, Born Standing Up. And Great book. I, yeah, I like, I cried. That part at the end, he's talking about, you know, looking back on his life. And I don't know, he's, he's really cool. He's like, yeah, I, I, I did this for a while. I did comedy and then I want to play the banjo and I did that. And, you know, and then my mom died and like, I, I dealt with that and I like art. So I, he just like does the things that interest him. And I feel like he, he was like, he had like his comedy act 
and he would listen to the audience and make adjustments to it like throughout his whole career right and but also it was it was also like just him it wasn't like well you know audience is really gonna respond to to this i don't know sometimes maybe sometimes comedy writers do that mm. but he was he was just always like yep i'm, I'm real fucking weird and I'm <laughs> weird and i'm gonna make you understand that I'm weird and be weird with me <laughs> the audience interactions and stuff yeah I I can't imagine a world of where Steve Martin isn't a huge part of my comedy like upbringing like and there's a bunch of, of his movies I haven't seen but like mm-hmm. the ones the things that like he has infiltrated into my life like are like just loom so largely like like dirty round scoundrels or his snl appearances or standing up with such a great book when i read it like yeah yeah i missed my cousin's wedding because i had tickets to see him live oh wow sorry joel (laughs) i'd forgive you i yeah there's no regrets wedding (laughs) there's no regrets (laughs) i knew about the show before i knew about the wedding so well, that's fair. Fair yeah. game. Your cousin should have. Steve Martin called dibs. Yes. On your attention, for sure. <laughs> um, can you imagine being up there on stage like that and and asking the audience to participate in your madness? Not like that, no. No, not like that, right? No. <laughs> yeah, Steve Martin's awesome. Yeah. And then finally, as we wrap up, I try to get a little deep. I try to get a little philosophical a little bit. Um, I mean, maybe not. Uh, (laughs) uh, So what's something that, I mean, you mentioned going through the UCB classes and taking a grant on the class and classes at the the PAC Theater. Uh, What's something that you've learned from comedy or something that you've learned about comedy that you would pass on to someone that's new to writing comedy? Um, I mean, can I plagiarize? It's not something that it's not something that I came up with, but it's something, something you've learned. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So um share a bit of knowledge that you've had that you've that sure. you've got. Sure. So I was in my sketch two class, which was taught by Heather Ann Campbell at the time at the Pack Theater. Oh, okay. I know yeah. her. She's awesome. In one of the first sessions, she was like like, you're all going to die eventually. <laughs> and to really like sink it in, it was like, okay, look around the room. How many people are in this room? Okay. In the next 20 years, one of you is going to die in a freak accident. And one of you is going to, you know, I don't know, have a heart attack or something. Those are just statistics, right? Those are just numbers. And, and like, it, it really doesn't, matter we're all gonna be gone so just don't worry about getting up on stage or looking like an asshole like a like a fool like don't be an asshole right but the looking like an asshole that's that's really not a big deal um yeah you can don't worry about writing bad stuff like it's not gonna matter and it was really freeing 
um, seems really obvious, right? Like, yeah, of course, we're that, but but it really got me to not be precious about work and writing and stuff, and and even performing, which is not something that I set out to do. Um, probably because of that fear, right? Of like, oh no, this is forever. <laughs> this is going to be in the record forever, and um, yeah, who cares? Yeah, people. Yeah, there's. If you get into comedy to look cool all the time, Ugh. it's not going to work out for you. Like, totally, it's going to be also very, very hard for you. For, yeah. It's not going to be fun <laughs> for sure. Um, and then finally, like, yeah. Fembot does a monthly show of new material that has to take so much time. Mm. So why comedy? Why spend your time? pursuing making other people laugh Mm, damn this is hard because i've 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 actually like come very i'm circling around this question too because i um like i also do environmental activism and uh other stuff so i'm like oh my god is there something more important that i can be um giving my time to and the answer is probably (laughs) yes of course um why comedy I think maybe I mean for me personally it probably goes back to um to like hanging out with my uncle and you know he like gave me that permission to be silly Mm -hmm. and like not have things like to, to the permission to uh, have levity, and I think I, I guess I do it because some, somewhere I believe that people get that from what I do, and then that's valuable. I think so. I hope so. Thanks, Andra. This has been super fun. Andra and the rest of Fembot PhD are coming east to perform at NYC Sketchfest on Friday, October 25th at 7 p.m. at the Pit Loft. When they head back to Los Angeles, they'll return to their monthly regular home at the Pack Theater on Sunday, November 3rd at 8 p.m. Check out packtheater.com for more information on that show and check out fembotphd.com and follow them all over social media at fembotphd. My first sketch is a Philly Sketchfest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com. Follow Philly Sketchfest on Instagram at phillysketchfest. The music on this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like my first sketch on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy, especially at NYC Sketchfest. I'll see you there.